Good morning, everyone. This is Maya Thompson, intern for Law Matters Radio Show and your host for today. Uh, before we start the show, I'd like to remind everyone that our online auction to support Law Matters is still open on lawmatters1030.org. Uh, so go check it out. There are a lot of interesting items to bid on. In the studio today, I have Cherie Meeks and Gerald Williams. Uh, how y'all feeling today? Very good. Very Thank good. you for Very having good. us. Um, Cherie, tell us a little bit about what you do. So I am the president of the Tucson branch NAACP, and so I have the privilege of working with the oldest and boldest civil rights organization in the nation, um, and our branch here in the city of Tucson uh, is a strong organization that has been around for quite some time, and so we are doing work throughout the community to uh, end oppression, to eliminate race-based discrimination, and so we find uh, different opportunities to do that across disciplines and various areas. Thank you. And uh, Gerald? Yes, I work for the Pima County Criminal Justice Reform Unit. I'm the HEAT coordinator there. Uh, HEAT is a cultural-based program for African-American males from 18 to 35 to help stop recidivism and return whole individuals back to society. All right, so I wanted to start off talking about some news. So um, the arrest of this uh, Georgia legislator, um, Republican, Representative Park Cannon. Um, this incident occurred recently. So you guys want to talk about this? Yeah, sure. I can start talking about that. Um, this is, is, is hopefully some of you have been able to see what's been happening on the news or you've read about it. Um, there was the Senate Bill 202 uh, in Georgia was signed by um, the folks there to pretty much... Um, legalize voter suppression. Um, this would make it difficult for volunteers to legally provide water and food for folks that are waiting in long lines. Um, this would make it difficult for individuals to vote um, if they did not have identification materials and add additional layers um, and, and really challenges to folks being able to get out and vote. And so um, there was an individual legislator that went to be heard. Um, and if you were able to see the video that I've seen several times, it's very troubling to see um, how this individual was treated uh, when simply being present in a space. And so um, just the, the criminalization <laughs> is, is, is terrible. And so um, what is happening in Georgia, we cannot stand by and let this happen. And so I want to encourage people to, to speak out, <laughs> to speak out against voter suppression. There are several bills um, that are that are uh, in places for consideration across the country to suppress the vote. And they are being strategically designed, I believe, uh, in ways that um, may make it through the House and through the Senate, and we, we can't stand by for that. So I want to encourage folks to know what's happening because you may uh, have one strategy for registering to vote and getting out to, to ensure that you are, are able to vote in the primaries and then in the general election, and you may find that there are some barriers when that time comes. So we need to be paying attention now, um, not simply wait until it is a presidential election year, but to always be mindful of legislation and ways that uh, systems are being created and processes being created that will hurt um, our entire community. Yeah, I, I did see that video and that was that was very troubling. Um, and I think um, 
Are they being represented by, I think, someone from the NAACP? It's rep- yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We, we will not stand by for this. It's just a, a terrible, terrible thing that's that's happening. And we see it before our eyes. And so to know that uh, folks have fought, fought really hard, <laughs> you know, given their lives, given their blood, sweat and tears to ensure that all people have the right to, f- to vote um, and then to find that it is 2021 and there are still measures that are making progress to suppress the vote. That's problematic. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm assuming that this is in um, direct correlation to Georgia turning blue. Absolutely. Definitely. I would say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the next uh, topic I staying with Georgia, I wanted to move on to is this um, shooting that happened in Atlanta with, um, well, six, six out of the, uh, eight victims were Asian American. Um, So I wanted to talk about a little bit of the hate crimes against uh, Asian American people that we've been seeing recently, uh, especially with the pandemic and a lot of the rhetoric going around. Um, Gerald, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Well, uh, I mean, as we see, the hate crimes are gradually, well, they've taken off, put it that way. They're not gradually. They've been uh, gaining momentum. Um, We just had another one here in Colorado as well. But as we continue to stand with our minority brothers, we have to uh, make it a point that we all understand that this could be your family, this could happen to you, this could hit your home. Um, as the Asian community uh, mourns their family members and their community, uh, we have to also make it a point that the government is uh, responsible. Um, the gun laws and everything that we have that we protect people to be able to carry guns. Uh, We make it uh, a right, I should say, to bear arms. And that is what is harming our community and our nation. Yeah, um, so a lot of this rhetoric was started by former President Donald Trump. Uh, Do you think Joe Biden is is doing enough to kind of stop this rhetoric, you know, dispel these these rumors? Go ahead. Okay. Well, I, I think I think that he has spoken out against it. He has been in the forefront in ways that our former president was not. Um, this is violence that has been happening for years. This isn't something that just started. Um, I would say even beyond one year ago, um, his rhetoric certainly added fuel to the fire um, and, and the horrible things that he was saying. And I believe that uh, we're seeing the the results of it. the results yes of his his um violent language um his rhetoric that um has manifested you know you say things and people have taken time to think about how they're going to act out i mean when when i think about things that have happened january 6th of course the violence that um that mm-hmm. we've seen um most recently um these are all things that that folks have planned um you know i don't i don't think these were a wake up one day and go out and be violent i think that um they were strategic and I believe that they were um, fueled by the former president, um, and and we just we can't stand for that. Um, the the president um, is speaking out, but it's going to take community members as well. It's going to take us as a nation to rise up against these things that we're saying. The, these aren't new things. So this uh, feeling of invisibility um, has to be removed um, 
same with George Floyd. I mean, I've had so many conversations about how um, it was not on May 25th, 2020, when we saw George Floyd murdered before our eyes. That was not the first time that has happened. But for whatever reason, um, the country was still enough to pay attention to it and to take action. And that made things happen. And I believe that now we're also seeing that with the Asian community, that these are things that have happened and folks just weren't listening. But we've got to pay attention to one another because it's going to be this community one day, another community the next day, and it's going to be in our backyards tomorrow. And so we have to support one another because these are issues of humanity. We've got to get back to humanity and, and treating people as if they matter because we all do. Um, and, and these behaviors making no excuses for violent behavior, uh, making no excuses uh, for why someone may have done this or that, um, but holding people accountable. Um, that's, that's the justice system I wanna see. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, there was no real minority group that was left untouched by Donald Trump. You know, African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, women, um, he, he really covered all his bases. Yeah. Well, and I do want to want to affirm that the NAACP supports our Asian American Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, and we stand with them. Yeah. And I, I think all of our hearts go out to those families who are suffering right now. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Gerald, you mentioned a little bit about gun reform, Second Amendment. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, as, as we continue to see America is built on greed. So the gun reform, I don't think it's going to change anything. It won't stop uh, a lot of the hate crime because I mean, you can attain a gun illegally. So uh, it, it's more than just gun reform that needs to happen. Uh, as Cherie was saying, we need to look at everyone as human beings. And also, as she was saying, all of these attacks and things that have been happening are plotted. Uh, they're not just uh, wake up, fly by night, okay, we're going to do this. So um, they have strategically planned uh, once he lost the election to continue to do whatever they're doing. Uh, we've seen this happen on American soil month after month, week after week, day after day. And as you can see, as they're trying to charge everyone that happened uh, that was at the Capitol riot, you see uh, uh, differences in, in the way things are going. Uh, just for one, uh, the guy that was from Arizona, I mean from Phoenix, Arizona, he was a vegan and they made it in, uh, uh, important to, to cater to his diet. I, I've never <laughs> seen anything that like that in my life. Wow. Uh, you know, um, and, and that's where you see a lot of the differences in where America is uh, thinking. Uh, you know, you, you can't um, think that you could continue to fuel a fire and not expect it for it to blow up. So uh, gun reform is something that we need, but like I said, that won't stop the atrocities that are happening on American soil. Yeah, I, I mean, during the, the Black Lives Matter um, protests, some people were suggesting, you know, disarming police, having them only having tasers and batons, which are already pretty dangerous, but do, do you think that would be a viable uh, solution? No, I, I'm, I'm not for this uh, uh, banning the police. Uh, we need the police, we need law and order, uh, we just have to train them better. We have to make sure that we pay attention to who we are hiring. Uh, there's been a lot of things from the beginning of time as far as uh, racism in all institutions. Um, but you have ghost skins that are, uh, that are 
hierarchy in all of these institutions. So they run everything. So as we continue to try to change legislation and build laws to help and combat this stuff, they are the ones that approves it. And and so I don't see uh, too much change if we don't attack the head. It's like a snake. Once you cut the head off the snake, the body will follow. Yeah. Yes. So we talked a little bit, mentioned a little bit about the, um, was it July 6th protest? Sorry, January 6th. January, got, my, yes, got, my, okay. got my months messed up. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> it's a J. Um, and, and the people who were attacking the Capitol. So let's talk a little bit about, and I, mm. this is a sort of a generalization about the people who might have been there. Um, QAnon, who generally support former President Donald Trump. Um, I mean, Joel, would you like to, I know we were talking a little bit about it before the start of the show. Um, you mentioned that you hadn't heard of it before I had put it here on the outline. Um, do you want to talk about uh, your thoughts on it just real quick? I know you just did some research. Well, from the research that I saw, uh, there's a, a group of militant people that are thinking to me very irrationally uh, and they're fueling these conspiracy theories just to uh, to get people thinking their way. Um, I can't go too in depth on exactly everything that they're about, but I mean, to me, this they're just another hate group uh, to continue to fuel hate, to continue to separate us as Americans and as a country. Um, and being a Christian and, and understanding that we're all one, we're all one blood. That's the way God created us, but he gave us the uniqueness of our own skin. So, um, if we don't do something about that group, I, I, I really see them uh, continuing to continue to plot and do whatever they can to divide us as a country. Uh, Sheree, do you want to talk about it? Well, I don't want to give too much power to the group, so <laughs> I don't, okay. and, and not speaking about them specifically, um, but there are groups out there that are designed to tear us apart. And, uh, this is, I believe, one of them. Um, and these these groups have power in places that can make things happen. There are uh, legislators that have been connected to the organization. Yeah. And so when you think about the ways, the systems, and you know, there's a lot of talk about systems and structures and the ways that discrimination and oppression are embedded in these systems. And so that makes it, more challenging to disrupt because it is a system on which we have built this country. Um, that's not a quick fix. Um, but I do believe that legislation is a powerful way to make change. But if you have the folks that are writing the legislation that are passing or not passing right. legislation connected to groups such as this, We've got to be really mindful of that and who we are electing and who we continue to, to reelect yeah. um, and who we can put in places to challenge the folks um, that are in place that have the ability to continue to perpetuate hate, to continue to perpetuate um, oppression against any group of people. Um, so, they're out there. They're out there. <laughs> and um, I was looking at, um, uh, I believe it was Southern Law. I'm going to mess up the name. Southern Poverty Law Organization. That's not what it's called. <laughs> uh, but their, <laughs> their hate map and to, um, and they, they um, 
show all of the, or maybe I'm sure not all of them, but many of the hate organizations throughout the country. So many. And I think it's easy to assume that they are in the South, but they are all over the country. And when you have connections all over the country, you impact legislation all over the country. And then we are perpetuating hate all over the country. So we, we've yeah. got to be mindful of how we can address these issues in multiple ways because there is no one fix. If there was one fix, I, I'd have to believe that someone would have figured it out by now. But this is going to take some collaboration, some coming together, some people on the ground protesting, some people writing legislation, others, you know, talking to people, influencing. Uh, but we have got to make this a collective effort because there are many people out there um, who are perpetuating hate against certain groups and um in order to, to combat that, we've we've got to come together. We've got to come together. Yeah. I said the scary thing about QAnon to me is I, I've seen multiple stories of people who loved ones have gotten really into QAnon mm -hmm. and they become this different person who um, you know, you don't really recognize or they're just kind of spewing this hate speech constantly, constantly and so, you know, I've I've read stories of people who have had to cut off dear friends or parents, grandparents, because it's just, you know, sometimes they get so deeply embedded in that that you can't really pull them back however much you might love that person. Mm -hmm. um, Maya, you mentioning that uh, makes makes me think of the movie Higher Learning. Have mm -hmm. any of you seen the movie Higher Learning? I, seen I, I believe it came out in 1995. It's got, you know, Busta Rhymes, Lawrence mm -hmm. Fishburne, um, Ice Cube, Tyra Banks, Omar Epps. Okay, so all these fancy people. Um, but I remember, I think about the storyline of Remy. And he was um, this white guy who came from small town. I don't remember where, um, but he was just looking for a place to belong. Mm -hmm. And it was the Nazi group, I mm -hmm. believe it that was, group, yeah, accepted that, him, yeah. that you know, spoke to him, gave him the time of day, invited him to some parties, and then started to, it's based on a college campus, and then started to uh, teach him about their organization and, and instilled hate in him. So when I think about that movie and I think about where we are in the country, there are people who are looking for a place to belong. They want to be accepted. And it is groups like that one that are doing the work to identify these people. Mm -hmm. And then they can get them to believe what they want them to believe. And carry and out so, their acts. Yeah. So we have to be diligent in educating and giving real history and teaching love and teaching um, humanity and teaching things that will allow or provide someone with the information to to make better decisions um, so that that's just a movie I think is is really powerful and although an older movie I think is is very timely and its yeah. message yeah, and people become really vulnerable online, you know, sometimes people mm -hmm. enter echo chambers. I know that's something that everyone struggles with. You know, you read one source of news mm -hmm. and, and you don't really look at another side. Um, I think we're probably all guilty of that. You know, it's, it's difficult to hear someone else's uh, opinion on that. Um, but especially um, people who are maybe less tech savvy or more willing to, to believe these who are vulnerable online. Um, those are the people who are, who are being targeted by QAnon. So I just encourage everyone listening to do research, even if, you know, if you're liberal, look at Fox News, see what they're saying. If you 
use um, Fox News as your main um, news source. Look at some other stuff. Look at the New York Times. Um, you know, stomach stomach other opinions so your your mind is more open just so you understand where other people are coming from. Um, all right. I think the next thing that I wanted to talk about is, you know, what work are you um, guys doing in our community? So, Gerald, do you want to talk about some programs that you're a part of? Um, I'm, I'm a part of several programs. I work with AFSC. Um, again, I work with uh, the Criminal Justice Reform Unit and the Heat Coordinator there. Uh, we are doing a lot of work. Yesterday, we were out with Community Medical uh, handing out Narcan kits to uh, inform the community regarding overdose deaths and help prevent that. Um, I work with my church. Uh, uh, just a, a lot of awareness. Um, with AFSC, we were, where we were trying to get legislation passed on prison reform. Uh, we've been at that for the last three years, and we haven't made the progress that we we wanted to make. But we continue to knock on the door. Uh, that's one of the biggest issues uh, that we're working on right now. Um, trying to bring alternative to uh, incarceration programs here to Pima County so we can better combat that. Um, I'm also very avid about mental health. Um, I have a child that deals with mental health issues and, and I'm trying to become a peer support um, specialist right now to be able to help him and others uh, deal with their issues on that level. Um, I think that's about it what I really do for right now for, for the community. Oh, that's amazing. So um, I'm really passionate about prison reform. My dad went to prison. Um, so Sheree, would you talk a little bit about, I mean, does it, what does the NAACP do for um, prison reform in terms of, you know? So prison reform, as with <laughs> any kind of reform, is, is um, a multifaceted <laughs> um, approach. And so we, we certainly think of it that way. Um, the NAACP has been focusing on legislation um, as well as uh, holding law enforcement accountable um, for various things. And so our national office put forth um, these expectations that we were uh, during election season, we certainly reached out to um, our law enforcement, local law enforcement agencies um, to address these issues with them. And so I do, I would like to share those with you all um, and what these, these five areas were. Um, and so we were calling for uh, police reform and, and asking for federal legislation that would mandate zero tolerance, a zero tolerance approach um, to penalize or prosecute police officers who kill unarmed, nonviolent and non-resisting individuals in an arrest. And so this would look like a ban on uh, the use of knee holds and choke holds, uh, a use of force continuum for police departments that would ensure that there would be at least three steps with clear rules on escalation. Um, we're also interested in the um, state's open records act, which would ensure that officer misconduct information and disciplinary histories are not shielded from the public. So we don't find out after someone is killed, uh, you know, the history of of um, a particular officer and, and their history. Um, and then recertification credentials um, that they would be denied for police officers if determined that their use of deadly force was unwarranted. So those are things that are really important. And I go back to that because I think that um, looking at law enforcement and the surveillance and the policing of communities of color leads to what we're seeing in the prison uh, system with the with the justice system. So I think these are all related. Um, and I, I am 
you know, excited to report um, that the Tucson Police Department has implemented these and they actually uh, volunteer, voluntarily adopted the eight can't, can't wait yeah. um, policies. And so if you haven't heard of that, um, definitely look that up. There are um, these eight policies and, and our uh, police department uh, supported those. Last year we hosted uh, in January, I'm sorry, now I'm saying January, in <laughs> June of last year, we hosted a town hall uh, with the police department and that was an opportunity for us to talk about what has been happening, of course, across the country, as well as locally. Um, what what are the interactions with police officers and communities of color, in particular the black community? What does that look like? Um, what is that surveillance? And so, you know, is it that we're being arrested or we're being stopped more because you are focusing your time and attention in our communities? Or, you know, if we're 4% of the population here in Tucson, but much, much greater population, um, you know, in the jails, Let's let's explore that. <laughs> Why is that happening? Yeah. Um, so that's something that we've been working on that is ex- extremely important to us. Um, but then also there's legislation. Um, you know, with with the prison reform, um, all these things. You know, they are they are related. Um, and one thing I, I just want to take the chance to say this now is is this is legislation, but I see it very much related. Um, we want to encourage folks to contact your senator because right now House Bill twenty one sixty eight um, is is being considered, and this would establish requirements for local law enforcement to report the use of force incidents into a national database. That may sound like something that should already exist sure it absolutely (laughs) should it absolutely should but right now that's something that i mean today right now when you're done listening to us (laughs) to to go and and find your senator send an email your arizona state senator send an email make a phone call uh, and and encourage them to vote yes on this house bill uh, because this is definitely something um, you know that impacts our interactions with police officers Yeah, that's great. Um, And so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back and um, feel free to call. Our number is 790-2040. So thank you so much. Stay on the line. Thanks for staying on, everyone. In the studio today, I have Sheree Meeks and Gerald Williams, and uh, we're covering a lot of bases. Um, (laughs) So let's start with some talks about um cultural difference so um i wanted to talk a little bit about um a past experience i just wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, muslim ban and the work that the naacp did on that um during former president donald trump's uh, administration well again i would say another example of the former president um using his power to discriminate and to um, to put challenges forward to people um, based on what they look like, based on who they are, where they come from. And so that is certainly not something we support. Again, um, we are an organization that is welcoming to all people, um, although NAACP, we know that that stands for National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And so um, we do not stand for any discrimination. Um, so th- much like what we are seeing now with Asian Americans, what we have seen with uh, Muslims, what we are seeing with, you know, pick a group, we don't stand for that. And so the NAACP um, really wants to ensure that the rights of all people are respected and honored. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I, I know um, you talked a little bit about what's been going on here locally, um, but what are some other projects that you work on? So there, there are quite a few things going on that we're we're excited about. Um, I always want to go back to legislation, so certainly I want to encourage people. My undergraduate degree is in political science, so I, I just like talking about <laughs> about that. But um, legislation is important. Again, thinking about systems, thinking about structures, that's a way for us to uh, make some change. Um, we have certainly been involved in voter education, voter awareness, and so um, this uh, past year, of course, being involved in voter registration initiatives and connecting uh, with churches and other organizations to to get information out to individuals, not to influence who they vote for because we are a nonpartisan organization. Um, however, we want to make sure that community members know the candidates and know where they stand on policy so we can support policy. Um, and if you happen to be the candidate that has the best policy, then you know, that's that's great. Um, so that is really important to us and we uh, are thinking about that throughout the year, every year. Um, we've also been involved in some of the things that have been happening in Georgia. So when there was the, the runoff, um, we were involved in contacting voters there in Georgia and encouraging them to continue to continue uh, to, to get back out there and vote. Um, we continue our collaborations um, with the Jewish community. So this is another group that we've been working with and talking about racial tensions and um, racial injustices and learning um, with and from one another. Um, and it has been really powerful and has enhanced our conversations and discussions and um, lots of different things have, have come forth as a result of that. Um, certainly, we continue our, our connections with law enforcement and um, holding them accountable and saying, you know, this is this is uh, what we believe nationally and here locally is important. And so uh, we do continue um, those conversations. That was not a one-time thing. Um, I think that's so important to remember these are not issues that we address um, simply because something happened, something made the news cycle. Um, but these are these are lived experiences. These are true, ongoing, daily um, experiences that people uh, take with them. And so it is important to us to address these things. And so we do continue to do that as well. And certainly we have to acknowledge that we're in the midst of a global health pandemic. And so it is important to us that we're thinking about the ways in which uh, the pandemic has impacted us. And our uh, state conference has been involved in a town hall. And actually we have one today starting at nine o'clock. So when I jump off this, I'll be jumping on something else. Right. Um, but we are, um, we have been talking about various responses to the pandemic, how it is impacting the criminal justice system, how it has impacted education, um, our health, health as well as how churches have been responding to this and so um, this is this is timely this is important this pandemic um, certainly has impacted communities financially it's impacted our health our education I mean we could talk about education <laughs> um, all day um, in the ways that that this is uh, impacting from preschool beyond college um, folks are impacted by this so we are doing some work behind the scenes to to educate and share that information with the community to empower the community and there are already more like um points of change that really needed to be um focused on you know i would say that there's there's certainly a point in <laughs> in every aspect you know we think about health care um we the african american community is disproportionately impacted um by 
the pandemic. And so what does that look like? How can we impact that? How is that going to impact housing? What resources are out there? There may be resources, but oftentimes people don't know what those resources are or they're not sure if they're eligible for those. And so we want to provide information, um, but we also recognize the barriers and the ways in which we share information could also be a barrier. Um, when I think about the communities that may not have access to internet or phone to to even sign up to get the vaccine. Well, if they don't have that resource, they don't have those tools to sign up, then they probably don't have those tools to check an email or to get on social media or to get the information that we're trying to share with them. So again, these these responses um, to these issues have to be multifaceted. We have to be thinking from the place of the audience, whomever we're trying to impact, not from from our place of, of privilege, I would say, as people who are try- that have the information and are trying to share it with others. Yeah, I, I was surprised because I, um, you know, I saw that people of color are disproportionately affected mm-hmm. by coronavirus. So I was surprised that there was no... Well, I was not necessarily surprised, but I was interested to see that there was no, you know, kind of um, support for people of color getting the vaccination, um, you know, because of how it affects um, those communities. And there have been some efforts. I know uh, some of the local churches have been uh, served as locations to get the vaccine. And Mm -hmm. so by going to the community rather than expecting I was driving here today and saw I'm not even sure where I was going past, but I, I could tell it was set up for drive-through vaccinations. And so going into the communities where people live, rather than expecting them to have the transportation and the ability of vehicle yeah. to actually drive through to get the vaccine. But maybe if it's at the local church or a local school or a location that is in the neighborhood, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then I think that would in- increase, um, you know, access. It's going to it's going to change access and and willingness for folks to get there. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned something about kind of news cycles and and personally, I'm I'm young. I'm on social media a lot. <laughs> I I've seen, you know, we had a huge um movement for Black Lives Matter over I think it was last summer. I don't my time perception is off since the pandemic, but um you know, and I you see everyone talking about it. There was the black square post which was a little bit questionable but there was all that media attention on black lives matter and there was this huge surge of like people learning i remember you also mentioned like um monitoring of black communities and i remember a lot of people talking about um how police started as kind of um slave watch and and some people who were starting to look into into history more but i've seen that you know die down since i there were you know I, I don't see anyone really talk about it anymore. So how do we, um, Gerald, how do we get that back into the conversation? You know, um, what do we do to uh, to get attention on it consistently? Well, it, it, it died down, but it is not a dead issue. Uh, we still want to emphasize that black lives do matter. Um, but right now, um, the, the, the conversation is shifted to all minorities matter. Um, as black people we have uh, suffered as I continue to say since the beginning of the time so uh, the focus just focusedly uh, main attention on black lives um, that's that's one of the things that I think uh, we have to look at but as we continue to move forward um, 
the minority life period or life at its, as in its in 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 entirety is what is important. Um, a lot of the Black Lives Matter. I'm, I I love the the slogan, but a lot of the things that uh, they want to say, I want to say a lot of the, a lot of what they represent. I don't agree with because you know it's just a lot of things that um, from the politics of it, but in a whole. You, you you just can't continue to focus only on black lives. If you can do that, that's what separates us. Um, if, if, and our neighbors and our our allies are the ones that are helping us push this issue. Um, so continuing to focus on black lives, yes, that's a, that that is the key. But we're not just trying to say black lives matter. We want you to look at us as a human being. Uh, this twenty twenty one. Right now, people are taking training in how to deal with black people. And, and you know, that is, you know, crazy in itself. It, it, and you look at today in this time, slavery has been modernized in prisons. So we continue to uh, uh, combat slavery and, and things of that nature. But we don't want to just continue to say black lives, black lives, black lives. Yes, we know black lives matter. And we thank you all for your help. Minorities in in the whole and in the general, we all stand as one. Yeah, um, and so a listener wanted to know. I think Sheree, um, this is about the the bill that you were talking about before we took the break. Um, could you could you give a brief explanation of uh, that bill or and and kind of uh, the pros and the cons of that? I'm not sure if we are referring to the Senate Bill 202 or the House Bill 2168. So I'll I'll mention both of them. On the yeah, on the screen I just have H1R1 and I I wasn't sure which one that referred to. I'm not sure either. <laughs> okay, but Senate Bill uh 202. Oh, well, I guess that when we talked about that was that was in Georgia, so maybe that wasn't the one we yeah, talked maybe about right before. The, the more local one. But the House Bill 2168 would establish uh the requirements for the local law enforcement to report their use of force incidents into a national database. I think that that is something that, you know, we should vote yes on because there that creates transparency. So if I am a police officer here in Tucson and I have a use of force complaint or use of force uh, issue here in Tucson and I decide to leave and go be a police officer um, in Cleveland, Ohio, that information follows me um, so that you're not finding if then I'm in another incident in Ohio. Is that the, Yeah, that's the state I just said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, you know, in an incident there um, that no one ever knows about what happened in Tucson. We need to create transparency so that folks don't have this ability to simply move from agency to agency across the country without being held accountable for the behaviors that they have had before. Yeah. So that is why that is absolutely critical. And that is critical because we are also seeing in the 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 lives that we have lost um, over over time. Uh, many of the police officers have been involved in with complaints and had, uh, you know, incidents of use of force. But no one knew. Yeah. So this database provides information that is useful to the entire community. And, and another question was, um. So for uh, getting a vaccine, I'm, I'm assuming, um, 
uh, you need like an ID, right, to, to present. So how can folks who, who maybe can't drive or don't have a driver's license, um, how can they address that issue so that they could get a, a vaccine? Can you restate that question for me? I just see, uh, don't we need ID for everything, driver's license, et cetera? So I think it's in reference to getting a vaccine. You know, yeah. I had to um, show identification. I got my first shot. Um, so I'm assuming maybe folks who, who can't drive um, have questions about um, having an ID. And how they might get there. Well, and I think that's that's part of the challenge. That creates another barrier. Are these... Um, these positive these locations for vaccinations in locations where folks don't have to drive to get to. Is it on a bus line? Um, is it in the community where folks can walk to? Is there a walk up option so that it's not just drive through? Can folks be as close as simply walking up? I think these are all things that are important for, for folks to consider, for Pima County Health Department <laughs> to consider when these are being set up and how they set them up. And, and so what about for voting? I mean, I don't oh. know much about, no, I, I thought it was for vaccines too. Um, <laughs> I don't know much about uh, voting laws. I just turned 18, so I haven't right. gotten the okay, chance so to vote. Okay, so you'll be voting yet. soon, yeah. okay? We can chat about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so yes, their IDs are required for, for so many things, um, but I think the issue here is there is, you know, have your ID, have another proof of who you are, a water bill or a light bill. Those are the kinds of things that are um, being compounding this requirement uh, for folks, which is making it difficult for them because there are these additional things that you must bring with you. And it just makes me think back to, um, you know, back in the day, Jim Crow laws and these different things that that were literacy tests and, you know, things like that, that were put forth for black folks in order to vote. I mean, to have to take a test, a literacy test, or to have to take a government test, yeah. um, you know, before being allowed to vote, well, now I have to have my light bill in my name or I have to have, you know, this mm -hmm. ID and, and, and these other things um, when if, if you've already registered to vote and you can prove who you are, that should be enough. Yeah, and I, my my mom has had trouble even you know when you when you move houses mm -hmm. you know with finding your new place of voting. I think there have been times where she's gone out to vote and they're like, you can't vote here. Like you have to go home yeah. and then go to this other place. And then they're like, you can't vote here. So I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a white woman and um, very privileged, and so I just can't even imagine how it would be for a person of color because I've seen what she's dealt with, mm -hmm. and she's not even in one of those communities that's being. Um, Oppressed. Well, and imagine taking the day off to go vote, or making sure your and kids are in childcare, and and you got a ride, or somebody dropped you off, or whatever. All these things that um, you know continue to make it more difficult. I, I'm dropped off, and now mm -hmm. you tell me I have to go somewhere else, and now there's a three hour line there, or uh, you know, hopefully it's not that long. But these are these are challenges. All these forms are, of suppression. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we need to we need to work to eliminate them. And if that means creating more spaces um, where voting can happen so that we decrease the possibility of the lines being long, then let's do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, some countries have I, the day off. I think everyone has the day off to, to go vote. Yeah, not yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, Gerald, you kind of mentioned um, that people are, are learning um, and taking classes on like how to deal with 
black people in a workplace how to deal you know um <laughs> can you talk a little bit about those classes have, have you uh, had any maybe at your workplace no i haven't had any at my place uh, but i know that hr uh they are making bulletins and making it aware uh, of how to deal with um, African-Americans in the workplace and what is appropriate, what conversation is appropriate. Uh, we see it daily, time in and time out. Somebody, someone may say something, a racial slur or a, a racial joke, and next thing you know, they're fired. So all of a sudden, these things are becoming important right now in society, which should have been from the beginning, from day one. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know... Uh, as as I have worked here in Arizona, you know, I've had several bouts with you know uh, people at the workplace saying racial things to me, and you know, I it, I can't take it to the higher up because then you, as a black person, we look like we're starting trouble. So you know, we we've been taught to deal with it from birth. Um, so, but it, it is very very um, appreciative, appreciated. I should say that right now that all these corporations are making it a point to uh, make sure people curb their uh, break time jokes and their water bubbler jokes and, 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 and keeping people's uh, feelings and their race uh, important. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not even a direct racial slur, yeah. right? It's sometimes it's, you know, microaggressions or like just implicit racism that like one has. Um, you know, ingrained in you because it's a racist society. And since we grew up in that, there are people, I know my mom is, is reading books and, and trying to do her own work based on, you know, she's never thought that she has any ingrained racism, but you know, the more that she reads, you know, the more that she's able to recognize it. And she's like, it's really hard work because no one wants to, to admit that they want, they have any part of them has ingrained racism. And, you know, my dad, my stepdad growing up was black. And so I got to see people um, treat, him differently versus her differently, you know, how it was to walk down the street with him versus how it was to walk down the street with her. So yeah, Sheree, have you seen any um, movements in your workplace? Yes, so I work uh, in an educational setting. So mm -hmm. there's, there's lots of workshops, lots of webinars, um, folks are talking about it. I will agree with something you said earlier that, you know, the momentum I don't think is as, as powerful as it was before. And so I'm hoping that we can reinvigorate that and that, you know, we don't wait for something bad to happen um, to care about that. But, um, you know, implicit bias, you talked about that implicit racism. We all have biases. And that's, you know, I think that's the thing that is tough for people to sit with. Just the fact that we all consume stuff whether it's what we're seeing on TV, social media, the way we grew up, our background, the neighborhood, we're consuming information and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. But that impacts our attitudes and stereotypes that we may have about other people and it impacts how we treat them. So I may not know that somebody got on the elevator and I kind of grabbed my purse, or I may not recognize that when this person walks in the room that I react in a certain way. But the reality is we do that. And mm -hmm. I say we because everyone does that because bias lives in all of us. So what can we do about that? 
recognize those biases. And that's that's where the work comes in. You have to acknowledge how you treat people, what you say, what you do when certain groups of people are around or, you know, those kinds of things. But once you recognize it, then you can address it. That doesn't mean they're going to go away because they're innate in us. But you recognize it. And then when you know better, you can do better. Mm-hmm. Hi, Angela. Um, <laughs> so, so that, I think, is just so powerful because we, we got to accept that that you know i have things in me that i do that may be harmful to other people and that's tough to sit with and i agree with you a lot of folks are reading books and and trying to learn um we got to keep that up keep it up like watching movies things of that nature mm-hmm. i think one of the main things is if you pay attention to what you do when people are not around and the things that you mm-hmm. say when people are not around it will bleed over to what you do and what you say when they are around yeah. So, uh, you know, as she said, we all have biases, but, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a white community, but I, I, I don't, I wouldn't treat you differently. So that's one of the main things that I think Christianity plays into the part because I, I look at you as an equal. Uh, if something was happening to you right outside this door, I would stop that. I wouldn't turn my back and say, oh, she's white. You know, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And that's one of the main things that we have to address here in society is just standing up for what's right, no matter what the race, creed or color, what's right is right. Yeah. And I think it's it's definitely super important to acknowledge that everyone has this, I think, you know, there's a lot of white fragility around talking about implicit racism and bias. Um, and even, it, you know, it even exists in um, non-black people of color. You know, I'm, I'm Mexican, but I'm very white passing. My mom is very white. Um, and so, you know, I, I have bias. I, I have all these things. And, it, and it's the most important step is to kind of admit it and, um, you know, acknowledge it so that we can start to deal with it so we can start um, to move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Gerald, uh, as we start to wrap up, do you want to talk about anything, introduce any programs, um, you know, uh, yeah. Um, well, earlier you asked me um, an organization that I work with, and I, I totally forgot about the MacArthur Foundation and the Safety and Justice Challenge and the work that we're doing here in Pima County uh, to combat uh, the the increase in the county jail. We are helping homeless people with, with mental health issues um, get released. We are helping the African-American community and anybody that uh, fits the uh, eligibility to be released to, to society, uh, getting into programs and things of that nature. Uh, and again, the HEAT program stands for Habilitation, Empowerment, and, Accountab- and Accountability Therapy. Uh, that program should be launching here hopefully sometime this summer. Uh, and again, it is um, created for African-American males to combat recidivism. Um, they have a HER program. It's for women. Um, they have a HEAT program for juvenile as well. And we're trying to bring all of those programs here to Pima County. So that uh, uh, right now is where all of my efforts will be concentrated. And Shree, are there any um, programs you want to advocate for? Yeah, I just want to mention one or another organization. I'm a part of the Network for Equity and Educational Development, which stands for NEED. And this is an organization that works to reduce disparities for black youth in the juvenile justice system. And so um, it's a collaborative of community leaders and organizations that um, really works to to 
build relationships um, with the young people and their families in the juvenile justice system. And so I just want to encourage people, NAACP, um, please check us out. Feel free to join the organization. Go to NAACPTucson.com to join, become a member, help us in the fight. There are so many um, different uh, disparities and things happening in our community. And if we rise up together, uh, we can we can do this together. Yeah. I just want to remind everyone that um, the Law Matters um, auction is still happening. So go to lawmatters1030.org and you know we have some really interesting items to bid on. I think there are some FBI agents that you can have lunch with, talk with law enforcement. Um, so I just want to thank you guys for coming on the show. This was really good. This was really interesting. Um, and I just, yeah, check out the, the auction online, support Law Matters and... Um, you know, shop local, stay safe. Everyone have a great week.